Thank you, Stacy, for that prayer. Um, last time I preached, I mentioned to you that if you had to divide Acts up into two sections, then a natural place to do it is between chapters 8 and 9. The first section is the mission of the church up until the conversion of Saul, and then the second section is the mission of the church after the conversion of Saul. And so in 2022, we made it through the first eight chapters, and this year we're going to spend time uh, here beginning in Acts 9 with the conversion of Saul. In fact, this is interesting. Biblical scholars like to point out that there's a parallel between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 9. The opening scene of Acts chapter 1 begins with Jesus making appearances in Jerusalem following his resurrection. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, we read, After his suffering, Jesus showed himself to the apostles and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He then commands his disciples to wait in Jerusalem where they waited together and all joined together constantly in prayer until they received the Holy Spirit. Here in Acts chapter 9, as we open this next stage of Acts, it too begins with Jesus making an appearance post-resurrection, this time on the road to Damascus to a man named Saul. And like the apostles in Acts chapter 1, Jesus also commands Saul here in Acts chapter 9 to go into the city and wait where he goes, and he's constantly in prayer until he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a parallel uh, with, chapter, with chapter 1 and chapter 9, and here this second section of Acts that we're beginning this year begins the same way as the first section of Acts in Acts chapter 1. Now, Stacy read our text to us earlier that we're going to look at today, verses 10 through 19. Um, and I had those verses read this morning in particular because I want to pause. I want to pause before we get into all the action because, boy, a lot of action gets ready to happen here in Acts. And I want to pause and I want to put the spotlight on someone who typically does not have the spotlight put on them. Now, some may call him Ananias, like Stacy did. Others of us call him Ananias. And tomato, tomato, Ananias, Ananias. His name, Aramaic, was probably something pronounced differently. I've always referred to him as Ananias. Um, and this gentleman is who we're going to look at today, Ananias. We don't talk about him much. So, we're not exactly sure how to pronounce his name. Now, admittedly, the only reason that we know Ananias is because of the importance of Saul. However, you cannot tell the conversion story of Saul without first telling the story of Ananias. In fact, Saul, who will later be called Paul, tells his conversion story on two separate occasions in Acts, in Acts chapter 22 and then also in Acts chapter 26. And in both instances, Ananias has a prominent role in how he tells the story. Charles Spurgeon was a famous 19th century preacher, and he preached a sermon titled, The Good Ananias. 
in order to differentiate between the Ananias of Saul's conversion in chapter 9 and the Ananias of chapter 5, who was married to Sapphira, who lied to the apostles. And so we're going to look today at uh, the good Ananias, as Charles Spurgeon referred to him. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, All we know about Ananias is found in these 10 verses. This is all we got. And that's a little unlike the way Luke writes his account. Luke likes to introduce us to someone and then later on weave them back into the story. But that's not the case with Ananias. This is all we got. We don't know if he went on to do big things in the church. For all we know, he does nothing else with any lasting significance. There's no indication that he even has any further interaction with Saul. So why talk about Ananias? Why not instead just jump in and start talking about some of the great heroes of the faith like Paul and Peter and John? Well, we're going to talk plenty about them, but here's why I want us to focus at least this one Sunday morning on Ananias, because there are very few of us who are going to be called to do what Paul did. There are just a few people who are going to be called to preach to the nations and plant churches all over the world. However, all of us, every disciple of Jesus Christ is called to do what Ananias did. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. There are four characteristics about Ananias that I want to look at together this morning, and they all begin with the letter O, and that's just easier for people who are taking notes. So here's the plan. We're going to pick up back up in verse 10 again, and I want to read through this again And we're going to stop along the way and emphasize each one of these four characteristics this morning about Ananias. So starting again in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Now, this has to be one of the most blah verses in all the Bible. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. That's all we get. Luke, who can be very descriptive with his words, chooses to share very little with us about Ananias. There are no letters after his name. There's no backstory. We don't know his age. We don't know what he did for a living, if he's married, if he has children. We just don't know, and perhaps there's really nothing to know about him. If you recall, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul tells us all the many reasons he has to put confidence in the flesh. He's circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So Paul has this unbelievable resume. And so perhaps it's even a little hard to relate to Paul because our resumes are not as impressive. We're not as accomplished. We don't feel as gifted as Paul. And Ananias, on the other hand, was quite ordinary. And that's my first characteristic that I want to share with you this morning about Ananias, that he was ordinary. 
in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, period. That statement can be made of any of us. In Lexington, there's a disciple named Barrett, period. In Lexington, there's a disciple named Ruth, named Gregory. That statement can be made of any of us. It's you and me. I think the story of Ananias teaches us that God can use any of us. Do you consider yourself just an ordinary disciple? Perfect. I want to tell you a story this morning about Bill Cosgrove. Has anyone here ever heard of Bill Cosgrove? Anybody? There's no reason for you to have heard of Bill. He didn't play basketball for the Wildcats. He didn't play football for the Bulldogs. He didn't make his first million by the age of 30. He didn't invent anything. He wasn't on television or in the movies. He didn't serve in a public office. He never even preached a sermon. Let me take a minute this morning and tell you a little story about Bill. It begins like the story of Ananias. In Athens, Georgia, there was a disciple named Bill. He was an ordinary man. He was not overly extroverted. He did not have a larger-than-life personality. He was just kind and, and interested in other people. Always went out of his way to say hello to somebody. Well, there was a young college student at the University of Georgia who would rarely come to church. I think, I think in his three years in Athens, this, this college student, you could count on one hand the number of times that he came on a Sunday morning. Interestingly, this young man had, had actually grown up in a preacher's home. And so he knew all about Jesus, but he didn't have a relationship with him. Does that make sense? Does that language make sense to you? You know, he, 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 he knew who Jesus was, but he had not submitted his will to him. He had not surrendered his life to him. And so he was doing whatever he wanted to do, living it up on the weekends. God and the church had no part of his plan. Well, this young man graduates from the university, and he's preparing to leave Athens. He has a job lined up back home. He's going to work and save money for graduate school. And so before he, before he leaves, he wanted to spend one last weekend with his buddies and then head home on that Sunday afternoon. And even though he'd only been a handful of times, this young man feels drawn to go to church on that last Sunday morning before he leaves Athens. 
And do you know why that he goes? Bill Cosgrove. He went because he wanted to say goodbye to Bill. Bill hadn't done anything special. He'd not said anything extraordinary to this college student. Bill had just simply seen this college student. He had welcomed him. He'd shown interest in him. And it was enough to cause this student to go to church on his last day in Athens just to say goodbye to Bill. Well, that morning, the college student met the new campus minister who had just been hired from Auburn University. And this campus minister invited the college student to lunch the next day. Well, the student had his apartment through the end of the month, so he decided to stick around for another day and have lunch with this new minister. And through a long series of events, this college student would become one of the ministers here at the Southside Church of Christ in Lexington, Kentucky. At the church that's located right across the street from the University of Kentucky, the church where his wife grew up. In Athens, there was a disciple named Bill. And he was just an ordinary disciple of Jesus Christ. But you can't tell the story of Barrett without first telling the story of Bill. What about you? Who's your Bill? Who's your Ananias? Who's the person whose story you must tell first in order to tell your story? You see, Ananias was just an ordinary disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm... I'm still hearing uh, stories from the revival that happened out at Asbury this semester. And one of my favorite things that I've heard is a quote. It's actually a quote from a student who traveled quite a distance with his buddies to be at Asbury for several days. Uh, And after traveling all this way and arriving there at Asbury, he was surprised by what he found. And he was sharing what he had learned about being at Asbury for those several days. And here's what he shared. I love this quote. He said, here's what I learned by being a part of this at Asbury. He said, I learned that revival is not hype. It's just ordinary people who are hungry for God. I love that quote. Revival's not hype. It's just ordinary people who are hungry for God. That's the first characteristic I want you to see here about Ananias is that he's just an ordinary disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's pick back up in verse 10 and begin reading again. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, yes, Lord. Second characteristic is that Ananias is open. 
to being used by the Lord. You know, there's such a big difference between the way Saul responds to the voice of the Lord and the way Ananias responds to the voice of the Lord. In fact, the contrast makes for a great illustration of before and after conversion. You see, in verse 5, Saul's response to the voice of the Lord is, Who are you, Lord? That's the before conversion response. If you were to hear the voice of the Lord before conversion, that'd be your, that'd be your response. Who are you, Lord? But the post-conversion response is the one that Ananias has here in verse 10. Ananias' response is, yes, Lord. So from who are you, Lord, to yes, Lord, there's the essence of conversion, When conversion takes place in the heart of a man or a woman, we move from ignorance to openness. There's a a shift that takes place. There's a transition that must occur in the heart of a person to go from who are you, Lord, to yes, Lord. And that shift has taken place in the heart of Ananias. He responds with an openness to being used by the Lord. His literal literal response, as translated by the ESV, is, here I am, Lord. And I like that response because you can really hear the openness in his voice. And those who are familiar with the Old Testament will recall that that response, here I am, has been the kind of openness that the Lord has been able to use all throughout history. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, we read about the father of the nation Israel, Abraham. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Abraham replied, here I am. In 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 4, we read about the great prophet Samuel, who would go on to anoint David to become the king. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, here I am. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, we read about the the prophet Isaiah who would speak so much about the coming of Christ. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. So it's the response of Abraham and it's the response of Samuel and it's the response of Isaiah and it's the response of Ananias. And it must be our response. When we hear the voice of the Lord, here I am. It's the response of a heart that's open to being used by the Lord. Let's pick back up here in verse 11 and continue reading. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house, and he entered it. The third characteristic is that Ananias is obedient to the Lord. He's obedient. He's not just open, but he's also obedient. 
Now, you might say, well, he did pause for a brief moment. Perhaps. You might say, well, it wasn't first-time obedience, maybe. I think Luke's a good storyteller. And I think he shares this initial response of Ananias so that the reader will be fully aware that Ananias was fully aware of the difficulty of his mission. For it's one thing to be obedient when the mission is easy. But it's another thing to be obedient when the mission's hard. And in the case of Saul, maybe even a little crazy. However, by including his initial response, we know that Ananias was fully aware of what the Lord was asking him to do, and yet he obeyed. Perhaps he was a little hesitant. Maybe he was even a little fearful. Nevertheless, he obeyed. I love how David Garland summarizes the conversion of Saul in his commentary on Acts. He writes, Saul went to Damascus to get his hands on some Christians, and he ends up having a Christian lay hands on him instead. It's a great summary of his conversion. And it was because Ananias was obedient even though he was fully aware of the danger of his mission. Let me say this. I think this is really important for all of us to hear this morning. You do not have to be extraordinary to be used by God. You do not have to be the best communicator or the best looking, or the most outgoing. In fact, the Bible teaches us that God instead uses ordinary disciples who are open and obedient. Let's pick back up here in verse 17. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. In scene, exit Ananias, stage right, and we don't hear another word about Ananias for the rest of Scripture. And so here's the fourth characteristic about Ananias this morning. Ananias is faithful to his one. He's faithful to his one. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the parable of one sheep. And I love that parable. I shared it actually the last time I preached. I love that parable because in telling that parable, you can use that parable to emphasize the incredible pursuit of our shepherd, right? God, like the good shepherd, is an incredible pursuit of us. It's the kind of pursuit of us that doesn't make any mathematical sense. 
right? That's kind of the point. It doesn't make any mathematical sense to leave 99 for the one. But it doesn't make sense that a God who created us would pursue us the way he does, will go after us. Doesn't make any sense. But that parable can also be used not only to emphasize the incredible pursuit of the Father, but it can be used to emphasize the incredible value of the one sheep. That one sheep, I wonder, you've got 99. Ah, but that one sheep was so valuable to the shepherd that it was worth losing everything. It was worth giving it all away. Save the one. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary on Acts, writes this. We must never underestimate the value of one person brought to Christ. Peter was ministering to thousands in Jerusalem Philip had seen a great harvest among the Samaritan people, but Ananias was sent to one man. Who's your one? Now, if God uses you to share Christ with more than one, then praise the Lord. But let's just start with one. Earlier, I asked the question, who's your Bill? Or who's your Ananias? The question I want to conclude with this morning is, who would say that you are their Bill? Who would say that you are their Ananias? There's a quote that was shared with me years ago by an evangelist that I've thought about every day since then. He said, when you become a Christian, the question is no longer will you cross the finish line. The question is, who will cross the finish line with you? It was the year 1858 city of Boston. Edward Kimball was a volunteer in the student ministry at his church. He just enjoyed helping out with the Sunday school Bible class. Following a sermon on evangelism, he decided to go to each one of the students in his Bible class who'd been coming and share with them personally about the love of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the young men was kind of, a, kind of a tough nut to crack. He had only been to the class a couple times. He had dropped out after fifth grade, worked on the family farm. He'd come to Boston when he was 17 years old to find a job, and he got a job at his uncle's shoe store, and his uncle made him come to church with him. It was one of those, maybe you've been in that position. It's like, I've got a job for you if you come to church with me. And that, that, it was 
for that reason that he attended this Sunday school class. Well, at first, Edward Kimball was unsure if he should talk to this young man at all. He'd only met him a time or two, and he, he couldn't tell if he even wanted to be there, but he felt the leading and the tugging of the Holy Spirit. And so he finally mustered up his courage. And so he actually decided to go to the shoe store during the week and just do it. And he found the young man in the back room stocking shoes, and right there in the back room of the shoe store, he started telling them all about the love of Jesus Christ. And as a result, that young man surrendered his life to Christ. And the shoe salesman's name was Dwight Moody. And he became one of the greatest evangelists of his generation. He preached the gospel to over 100 million people. And there's still a Christian college in Chicago that bears his name. He was sharing this story one night. And these are the words of Moody. He said, I never forgot the day Kimball put his hand upon my shoulder, talked to me about Christ and about my soul. I had not felt I even had a soul up until then. I don't remember much that he said, but I can still feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder even tonight. You see, you can't tell the story of Dwight Moody without first telling the story of Edward Kimball. Like Ananias, he was just an ordinary disciple of Jesus Christ who was open to being used by the Lord, who was obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and who was faithful to sharing the love of Christ with one. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Um, As your word has been shared today, I pray, Lord, that it will take deep roots into our heart, that it will shape us, that it will encourage us, that it will call us to be ordinary disciples who are open and obedient to sharing the love of Christ with one. We're called to take the gospel out into all the world. That can seem so overwhelming that sometimes we don't do anything. So may we hear the gospel call to one today. The value of that one lost sheep who you left everything for, to save. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your great love for us. Power us today with your Holy Spirit to be your ordinary disciples. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing.